everybody to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I have a very special guest with me today, uh, someone whose work I greatly admire and whose music has uh, had a major effect on me over the course of my life. And i um, just so excited to have Jake Bellows here to discuss Proverbs 18 with me. Welcome, Jake. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me and asking me to join you. Um, I, I always enjoy discussing um, I guess anything of substance, really. <laughs> That's good. I mean, we picked a we picked a really interesting um, chapter to focus on. So, before we get into uh, Proverbs eighteen, why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself and how or if faith plays a part in your life? Okay, yeah. Uh, I'm uh, Jake Bellows. I came up in the Midwest, born in. Council Bluffs, Iowa, and and spent most of my life, uh, or a lot of my life, living in Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, got involved in music and uh, all kinds of uh, of uh, associated uh, messing around, and um, grew up loving poetry, and grew up uh in in a although you know we were going to church each sunday and we would do church camps and stuff like this and this is all in the christian christian faith um and although i guess it was more of a social thing for me at that time but i did read through the bible i thought it was interesting and and proverbs was the book that um really stuck out to me as far as i liked I like in general, I like poetry because it's concise because, um, it's economy of language give, it can lend itself to having a very specific meaning or at least, um, uh, thought provoking, you know, the fewer words it's like the, what else is like that kind of, you know, it's like, it leaves some room for interpretation. Mm-hmm. It leaves you the ability to cross apply it to your life and or to situations or whatever. And so anyway, I, because of my love for poetry, um, Proverbs really jumped out at me as the book in the Bible that I'm most identified with and most found myself referring to. I read a lot of, I guess I read a lot of the, I think I read, I mean, I read the whole Bible and, and, and thumbed through it pretty often. My relationship with uh, spirituality was always, um, it was always there, although it wasn't always very strict and stringent there. there I wasn't really, I didn't feel, um, like under anybody's particular roof, um, but I did have a belief in like an organization to the universe and uh, a God um, though. And I, but I felt as if the stories were an illustration of truths that could benefit people, you know, Mm -hmm. and and, and there, I think there are entire 
you know, sects, I don't know, what would you call it? Like entire like organizations of religion that are under the umbrella of Christianity that maybe organize themselves around uh, an idea or a passage or a perspective that I don't even get into at all. Mm -hmm. But um, there's different strokes for different folks. And I feel like people find the things that they need um, those are the things that, uh, that resonate with them. And, and anyway, so I ended up on kind of a, a big journey. Um, I like to read a lot of like, uh, um, books about, you know, Taoism was something that jumped out at me early on. Of course, like Zen and, uh, and Buddhism were fascinating to me. I also loved Kung Fu. So the Taoist stuff was, um, was particularly enticing <laughs> to me because, you know, there's like all these amazing, uh, stories like folklore and I'm sure some of it's real stuff, but of like, you know, the, the mountain Taoists studying their Kung Fu and, uh, and there was an element of like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like as if uh, it wasn't framed as miracles, but a lot of these guys would get to this point of mastery in their, their faith, which was kind of like this harmonious nature faith, you know, kind of, and their training and discipline that where there were almost miracles that they could almost call forth, you know, it wasn't framed as miracles. It was framed as a, a mastery of a skill or whatever, all these things. But uh, it was easy for me with, with the way that I thought about things to think of them as such and therefore kind of recontextualizing some of the, um, you know, some of what would be a little on the nose as far as like, well, is this a miracle or not? It's like, <laughs> let's sit down with 12 guys and figure out if this is a miracle or not. And, um, and so that's like immaterial to me. It's, um, it, the, there's a lot of, I feel like there are a lot of miracles going on in nature daily. It is not a unique phenomenon. And, um, and maybe with a better, effort at listening and seeing we would be more aware of them you know yeah yeah that's really interesting i mean it's so easy to get lost in the minutiae of the bible uh and as it is in any spiritual practice um because a lot of people see scripture as um like a rule book rather than a, an inspiring um guide for getting in touch with our spirit and getting in touch with God, um, whatever form it is that you perceive or believe God to be. So, you know, there's that quip of uh, the Bible being basic instructions before leaving earth, right? Um, but it couldn't be further from the truth because it's not basic at all. Uh, it's, it's actually really complicated and, and you'll see in, in any religious text, in any religious practice, um, if you can allow yourself to a certain degree, to step back and see it as a source of wisdom, uh, a source of tradition, um, and a source of um, a sort of a way to make peace in your life, rather than necessarily saying, well, in this particular verse, this particular rule is written, and as such, I need to form my entire life around this particular rule. 
uh, it, it's not just exhausting, it's, it's impractical and it's almost impossible to live that way. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think that it can have the effect of convincing you that are, you are maybe an unworthy practitioner um, when the focus narrows to the point of requiring, you know, maybe a, a conversation with the big guy or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, how come the big guy never talks to me? Um, you know, and, and, to, and for a literal interpretation of some of these things, like, um, yeah, there are people who are currently actively disappointed that they never hear from the big guy anymore <laughs> or ever. <laughs> and they're like, in some ways, you know, that brings them, you know, a lot of doubt and a lot of uncertainty about, you know, how, how they're going about their lives. You know what I mean? It, it makes them more and more, uh, less likely to just like, um, have a deep faith of any kind, you know? Sure. I mean, um, it's easy to get disappointed in yourself, uh, when you feel like you set these impossibly high standards for how you need to practice a particular thing. Because I mean, at the end of the day, we're human beings. However you see human beings as being fallen, we're flawed. Uh, even if you don't necessarily believe original sin or um, that sort of doctrine, um, we we love to screw our own lives up. Like we're really, really good at um, doing things that we shouldn't do, uh, getting addicted to things we should <laughs> that, that damage ourselves. Um, it, it's almost like a given that we that we screw up. So you have to be able to forgive yourself for that, but to continue to like the whole purpose of life, if there is a purpose in life, um, is to try to continue to improve yourself and try to continue to, to make yourself better. Uh, however that may be to you again. Um, but it's, um, uh, it's, it's difficult, you know, it's fraught and, and it's, um, well, Proverbs does a really good job, I think of, zooming a lot of these concepts out. And then it also does a really good job of confusing me anytime I read it, because there are certain metaphors that they use in, in Proverbs that are just like, I don't really know what you're trying to say there. Um, should we, do you think this is a good time to, to sort of pivot into the text? Yeah, let's dip in. All right. Um, before we go to Proverbs 18, I'm going to re read a little section of the introduction Two Proverbs from The Voice. That it, It's an important thing to note, although it doesn't really pop up in this particular chapter as much. Uh, the book of Proverbs is largely credited to Solomon. And, um, and th there are ways that women like are framed in this book that are really fascinating. There is this notion of, um, of Lady Wisdom and then the Jezebel. Uh, which are these kind of like opposing forces of, of like uh, wisdom, uh, knowledge, good things, and then like indulgence, overindulgence, um, immorality, things like that. So anyway, the, the introduction in the voice says, one of the most unforgettable aspects of this book is how wisdom is personified. Lady wisdom, as she is called, exists before creation and works alongside God as he fashions the hills and sets the limits of the sea. Lady Wisdom now stands in the streets, calling to the young and naive and inviting them to take the path that leads to true life. In many ways, Lady Wisdom stands in contrast to the seductive woman 
who wants nothing less than to entice and destroy young men. Um, it's very gendered, but I, I think you can you can take that out of it a little bit and see that um, it, this isn't just a guidebook for men. Uh, although I think a lot of people interpret the, in, uh, interpret the Bible that way. Um, but anyway, uh, so let's let's get into uh, chapter eighteen, verse one. Oh, uh, what what um, translation did you read for this? I read several. Um, I was looking for ones that were a little less begat and a little more uh, modern translations so that your listeners wouldn't, if they didn't have any, you know, Bible experience or something, they wouldn't have to sit there and try to translate it from English to English. (laughs) So what I have up um, was a new international version. Oh, okay. I usually use the ESV, the English standard, but I do use the NIV sometimes and NRSV and the voice. And sometimes the message, the message is kind of fun too. They've, everyone who listens to the show has heard me talk about this a million times. So yeah, they, they've all got their, <laughs> they've all got their good points. I just felt like this was boiled down to, uh, the least, um, need to be familiar. Well, I'm going to read from the NIV then, and uh, we'll start at verse 1. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends, and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. When wickedness comes, so does contempt, and with shame comes reproach. So I want to stop there because I feel like each one of these is kind of unrelated, right? What was your impression when, when you were reading through this? Does, does this read like basically two lines, like couplet, 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 completely unrelated? Or did you feel like there was any kind of connection between any of these verses? Uh, yeah, I felt like those first six lines were like uh, very related to one another. Uh, like it feels like... Um, you know, it's kind of a, a light, a light warning, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, it can be perceived as a great excuse to judge your brothers and sisters or something. Um, you'd be like, Oh, well, this guy, uh, is selfish and argues all the time because <laughs> and you're, they're like arguing with you, <laughs> but you're perceiving as them being the argumentative one, you know, even though you're constantly involved. So it's a nice, gentle way to get you into um, uh, at least recognizing this phenomenon and being like, is this effective Um, as far as like having a conversation? I don't particularly believe in wickedness and and evil. Um, And and I understand like the, the context of the idea of uh, temptation and all these different ways that we can fail ourselves or our faith or something. But I also like, I perceive it as kind of the responsibility of the culture at large. And most often when people walk or, you know, are walking through their lives with some major, major problems and, or, you know, addiction or, you know, whatever, violent behavior or contrarianism or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
oftentimes I feel like these seeds are planted early, early on. These are like um, foundational toxins, you know, and like, yeah, like I just don't believe in bad kids, bad babies, you know, oh, uh, yeah. we are programming them. This is not their failure, you know, and even as it gets, uh, we had an interesting discussion last night about Michael Jackson. And I know that that's like maybe a little on the nose to be talking about it, but you know, people's ire gets up a little bit when it starts, you start dealing with the abuse of children, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I just mentioned and, and believe and feel, I can't think of him without associating him with being abused himself. And, um, and I think generally speaking, the cycle of abuse travels in that way. And so it's like, he's maybe not a great example, but anybody. No, I think I know a, exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Is this an evil person or is this a person who has confused something for love or have somehow associated love in this other thing? You know, I have people in my life that associate love with sympathy. And so they're constantly finding things wrong with themselves and they're constantly looking at the world through a lens of disappointment bad luck, shame, um, you know, not measuring up and all these things in order to share that in order to get somebody to say, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, <laughs> like, because they believe that that's love yeah. and, and, and maybe there is love in there, but that's a life sentence of sadness and disappointment to only perceive that type of love and um, to have uh, intertwined those two things to such an extent that you have to constantly find things to suffer for so that you can feel love. And I feel like um, that's maybe that's a, a big sidestep from my original point, which is just that I don't really believe in um, I know people talk about original sin, but that's not part, that's not a part of the Bible and it's, and it's, um, knowledge that it imparts that really resonates with me because of basically the children I've known, um, and, and, and the people I've known, it's like, now I'm whatever, 45 years old. Um, so I've watched, yeah, I had friends that were children. I was a child mm. and now I've seen them all grow up and now they're men and women and, you know, and what has become of them. And, uh, you know, the simple, the simple, you know, variables of being a child and the simple, you know, it's like, um, you don't have as many options to choose from, you know, and then all of a sudden you get, kind of poured into a bigger pool and poured into a bigger pool. And now you're in this adult world where everything is the world's your oyster. Everything's an option. Were you pr properly and effectively prepared for that? And I feel like that's where we fail in our culture, in our world and man in religion too. Um, but 
it's like, uh, so, so anyway, I guess I just look at it in this way. It gives me, for me, it helps me, uh, be more present with compassion and be quicker to be able to switch out of my perspective and into somebody else's perspective to see why or how they could have ended up, or let's not say ended up. We're all on a constant journey unless sure, you're, yeah. unless you're gone and you're, you've died or something. Uh, from, from that point, I can no longer track your path. You know what I mean? But who knows what exactly happens after that, but you know, a bad deed does not make a bad person necessarily, you know, a bad choice does not damn you in my eyes for eternity, you know? No, I mean, let's be completely honest. I mean, if, if one bad deed was what damned you for eternity or made you a wicked person, we are all wicked people. There is well, not a single person in the world that doesn't do something that they shouldn't do. I well, mean, and, that's just... and from what perspective, um, do we judge and mm-hmm. are we qualified to do such a thing? And, um, I think that that is something that has also gotten like conflated with being religious is the element to which, uh, um, people who consider themselves religious practice judgment often in a, a much more active manner, you know, like, because they're, you know, they're judging themselves as well. And they're judging, they're deciding whether or not this is a good or a bad thing to do. There's this constant um, uh, conversation that's going on within them in order to keep those skills sharp. They judge everyone around them too, which, you know, some would say that we're not qualified to judge people. Oh, I think the Bible says that actually. (laughs) But we still practice it constantly. Do we ever? And, and I mean, that, that is relating to what we're talking about here in verse two. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. It is, uh, it's not a sign of wisdom to constantly tell people how wrong they are about things and how you have the the moral high ground. Um, it is actually a failing, uh, and it's it's something that it, that they warn it that is warned against in this particular. Um, chapter. I mean, this these first three verses all kind of talk about a kind of confrontational aspect to uh, pride, I guess, is, is um, being, being confrontational, being um, not understanding others. Uh, and the, the problem of wickedness is another, I think, another issue. And I, I don't necessarily think that this passage is speaking to wickedness as a chronic condition, but like more as like uh, the acts that we commit that are in some way wicked or another. But again, it's that's complicated too because where do we determine what is wicked, what is evil? I um, think that I think that that that's a great a great um, point and determination that there is this there's this top layer of meaning to to these verses. And then there's this underlying layer where it's like the next question you ask is, oh, so an unfriendly person, um, is that somehow part of their sin or a (laughs) fool? Now, am I qualified to decide who is a fool? Somebody makes a different choice than I do. 
and that's a fool or, or a fool makes me mad. Or is this just a way for me to like feel justified calling somebody a name? And so like, there's another layer entirely that I think draws you away from the judgment. Although on the first layer, it's, there's a lot of judgment involved in these verses, right? Sure. I mean, you're unfriendly. Okay. So you're a jerk, you're a fool (laughs) and you're wicked. It's just like, dang, bro. Like, is that what the big guy said? Is this, uh, knowing this, the lineage of Solomon, uh, and, and knowing how flawed, um, most of the people that are credited with writing the books of the old Testament are, it's very funny to take these proverbs at face value because they were all like, they, they were basically all of them were murderers, adulterers. Uh, they were people that, um, that were deeply, deeply flawed in their own way. And the understanding is that this is God speaking through them. Not necessarily that this is, oh, well, Solomon was, he was the dude, you know, he was the one that he knew everything and he came up with all this stuff and wasn't he a smart guy? It's more like, put that aside for a second because they aren't qualified to be drawing these distinctions that this is, it's supposed to be God speaking through them. But with that, um, there is a lot of ambiguity. And I mean, even the next, I mean, the next verse in four, uh, there is a, a bit of translational kind of confusion with this particular verse. It says the words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. Um, that but is added in the NIV translation. In the ESV, it simply says, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters, semicolon, the fountains of wisdom is a bubbling brook. The uh, NRSV makes a point to note that these things may or may not be opposing each other. Uh, The use of but there is like a a liberty that the NIV took to say that those two things are opposites, but they don't really seem opposed to each other, do they? Yeah, that's that's the implication, definitely. And, and I agree that when I read that one, I was just like, well, this requires some looking through time. And, and I feel like, you know, I don't know if you've ever read any like Sufi poems or Sufi poets or something, but sometimes when you read Hafiz or some of these old, uh, some of these old poets, you have to look through the lens of time and you have to imagine it's like when somebody says, you know, uh, a hot rock, they could mean like they're cooking something or they could mean, you know, like there are a bunch (laughs) of different ways kind of to interpret. And so you have to see it through like, how could, how could this idea and terminology be like, um, are you did you ever take french no no i i, I learned a little spanish but yeah, me too me too I, I miss french but what i understand about french and i've had some people kind of uh, illustrate to me is that their language has basically not changed they don't add words they combined words uh you know so like when they're they're trying to come up with a, a name for the internet <laughs> You know, when, when the internet kind of like came into fruition and they're like, uh, uh, cloud, um, <laughs> cloud, 
like spider web or something, you know, like <laughs> cloud spider web. Is this cool? And they're voting on it and stuff and they all have different ones, you know, but they're trying to combine the terms that have been around for eons. And I think it's kind of a cool, you know, tip of the hat to their culture. That's great. Um, and maybe you don't need new terms for everything, but it does require some thoughtfulness on the reader or the witnesses part. And I think that a lot of these old translations of texts require some thoughtfulness and um, some understanding of the context. How, how did this word reach you? You know, how many translations, how many agendas, how many, you know, people had their hands in this? How many, how many words were both deleted and added um, that completely changed the meaning? You know, there are religions based around bad translations. Yeah. And, and um, entire sects that would believe that one book could be left out or one, um, one book is in canon, or this book that was written later actually should be invited back into the canon. I mean, this is, I think, the, the ultimate difficulty with, even in a language like English, that um, is very dynamic, it's very mobile, it's very, it, it can move and turn with technology, and, and it can be hugely useful to express complicated emotions in a very succinct way, because of the way we can steal from other languages and just say, okay, well, that's an English word. Now we're going to use that in English. Um, whereas um, with like things like German, where you hear these phrases in German that are um, 26 letters long, and it's actually four or five words of theirs all packed together, kind of like what you referred to with the French word for the internet, which I have to look up, by the way, that sounds very funny. I'd have to look it up <laughs> too. I, you know, not knowing French, but I just remember like kind of chuckling along with them as they were trying to figure that out. I was just like, yo, that is, uh, you, uh, that is tricky man. good luck fellas. But if we, I mean, if we accept that, um, it doesn't render the text useless that it's been moved from language to language over time. Uh, it doesn't make it, um, unreliable, I don't think necessarily as a, um, as a guidebook or as a wisdom literature or, um, a, a great story. The new Testament especially is like this incredible story. Um, even people that aren't Christian would largely say that like Jesus is a groovy guy, right? Like the whole story of Jesus is really cool. And, um, yeah. he, he had all kinds of great things to say. He was very wise. He did something that was very brave uh, and so even if there are aspects of the story that you necessarily don't believe in or don't agree with, um, the guy was just loving, endlessly loving, which is, which is cool. Um, but, you know, setting that aside, I mean, if it, the book itself, I think, still operates in a way that's, that can be very helpful for us. It's just that you have to take it with the understanding that it's been moved. This is a, this is a living it's a living book, not in that it continues to be added to, but it's a living book in that it continues to be edited and it continues to be translated. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But and, and and I want to also say that it is a book about a living practice. It's about a living, loving practice. The book is not the point. Yeah. The book is an effort 
you know, a, a flowery, sometimes uh, brutal, sometimes um, beautiful effort to get you to understand, you know, the book could have been a song. <laughs> the, the book could have been a drawing. It could have been expressed in, uh, and it is, you know, often expressed in a bunch of different ways as well. And the book could have never made the cut, you know, it's about a way of living and how you treat your, your fellow, your, your fellow, uh, travelers and, um, men and women, brothers and sisters, uh, and how you treat them all. That's the point. You know, uh, that's the way I, that's the way I understand it is the point is a guide, a, a guide to living and loving. Um, the point is not necessarily the, uh, minutia of like tearing apart any given sequence within whatever, uh, a book that you thought or, or a verse that you think is like, well, see, I told you it was all BS. <laughs> now, you, yep. Guys, it's garbage. I guess you throw yours, throw them away. You know, like there's <laughs> nothing to, nothing more to see here. We, we kind of figured out here, they put a butt in here between two phrases that are not being opposed. Um, so it's over. So toss uh, it. Yeah. We need no, a new, we need a new one. We need to wait for the next one. Let's start the Bible over. No, I mean, that's not, it, Proverbs is especially guilty. Well, it's not guilty, but people are especially guilty of taking things out of Proverbs out of context. And it's because, uh, it is so disjointed at times. There are so many different passages that, that, that feel like you can just, well, I plucked these two lines out of this book and it's the Bible. So it's infallible and it's God's word. And so if it says this here, then, then by gosh, this is the one that, that here's a rule. And if you don't follow this, you're a sinner, you're wicked, you're evil. End of story. And, and that is the, that's the flip side of uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? Uh, you don't need to say that, um, each individual word in your particular translation of the Bible is, uh, flawless, but you also don't need to say that it's meaningless because it is flawed. Um, there's, there's always room for interpretation in any writing. I mean, it's funny that you use the word brutal in discussing the Bible because the verse, verse six and seven are so funny. It's like the lips of fools bring them strife. Their mouths invite a beating. <laughs> I guess I feel like the context of some of these Proverbs, some of these verses is written for the people who are still trying to be good so they can get paid. This is a cap. That's a, like a capitalistic idea. It's like, why am I good? So I can go to heaven. Why am I good? So I can earn God's favor. Why am I good? Do unto others so that they, you know, do it so that they would do it unto me. Do it. You know, like it's all like self-based, like how do you get paid for being good? And the context of a lot of this uh, religious talk is based in the idea of reciprocation. And I feel like some of these verses are, are built for those who are not necessarily convinced, but they're like, Oh, well, actually there are some pretty good benefits, <laughs> you know, like, and, and so it's kind of like, it's not the true message. It's like kind of a, um, yeah, like a, a gateway to the message. Well, and this idea, Proverbs is often used in um, like prosperity gospel type uh, preaching that says, 
um, if you follow these simple rules, then you will be a successful business person or you will be um, more glorified in this world and in the next world. And I mean, like, you don't have to read very much of the Bible to know that God's love is like not conditional, uh, that like uh, forgiveness is is poured out on all of us, like grace is poured out on all of us. Um, you should be good because that is advantageous to us in this life in a way that allows for harmony and, and peace and love in this world. Uh, that is why it's good to be good, not that you will become a king in heaven or you'll be seated, you know, next to next to God, next to Jesus, who's next to God, who's next to Mary, that you'll be right there on the end of it, that you'll be seated at the table with them. It's like, that's not what this is about at all. Yeah, I find that kind of like um, pandering and bribery really disgusting. And if I happen to sit in on those types of, uh, you know, conversations, like it's just like turning everything into uh, an economical balance of, you know, capitalism, basically, it's just an expression of capitalism. It's like, well, why are you good? It's like, well, cause you want to get yours right up in heaven, <laughs> you know, like I find that to be so um, repulsive that I feel like it has only done religions harm. The verse 11 actively argues against um, treating treating wealth and prosperity as um, as like a, a fortress, right? It says the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. They imagine that, but the implication there is that it's not too high to scale uh, and you are not um, more glorified or greater because you're richer. Um, that prosperity in this world does not mean financial uh, financial prosperity or um, having lots of property or having fancy cars or things like that. Prosperity in this world is having lots of love, um, which I thought I, we skipped ahead a little bit there. And there's another passage I want to rewind to for a second. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it can, it can be so easily misconstrued if you take this book as um, if I follow these if I follow these exact, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, if I follow these exact rules, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be powerful. I'm going to uh, be able to call the shots and I will do it with God's blessing because this is what the book says. It's dangerous. Yeah. But like the reality, I think under the subtext is that your motivation for being good doesn't matter only whether or not you are good. And I guess that's where I diverge in my beliefs is that I think the reasons that you're doing a thing are the most important. Um, whether the thing works out or not, uh, having your heart in the, in the right place makes a really big difference. And I think that people kind of like can intuit and uh, sense earnestness and sincerity and it's a kind of magic. It's kind of it's a kind of undiscovered or untapped, mostly untapped magic that is available to all of us if we could. I mean, it's like how do you how do you become your true self? You know, what things do you need to shed um, to become your true self? And at that point, you become the most earnest 
and most sincere version of yourself. And that it, it's almost like uh, you've got a, a Vulcan mind meld now with people and the animals <laughs> and geez, trees, you know, turkeys, <laughs> um, uh, pickles, you know, like everything, like you're basically communicating on a hardwired level at that point. And, um, it's amazing. Uh, it's hard. I've had moments, um, epiphanies moments where I felt like I could do that. And, and then, you know, it's a practice and I've definitely had a lot of moments, most of them where I, I can't do that. And, and if you asked me who I was, I wouldn't even know how to answer. <laughs> I feel like the beginning of this program was kind of like, uh, <laughs> Lunked out by me uh, stumbling through some description of myself. Um, well, I mean, but, it's an awfully complicated question, right? I mean, that, <laughs> it's not like t- in ten in ten minutes or less. Please tell everyone uh, everything about you. Uh, it's not that simple. Um, I think. I th- yeah, I think that the the most um, sincere and earnest amongst us probably would have about four words for you, and. Um, we'd be moving forward. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be what they, th- what they said, but it would be the earnestness and sincerity with which they said it. That would illustrate all you need to know. Um, the last guest I had on last week, uh, was Thomas J. Ord. And when I asked him to tell folks a little bit about himself, he, he said, I'm just going to get right to it. I believe, you know, that I want to be a person that loves and, and that was pretty much, I mean, like he, he, we went into other things and we discussed other things, but it was such a succinct way to say, this is the core belief that I have, um, that I want to love others and I want there to be love in my life. Like that's, that's incredible. And that's a great way to describe yourself. And if you, if you dig into even what we're reading today, the second part of uh, verse 12 says, humility comes before honor. It's obvious that um, while it could be easy to take some of these uh, passages from Proverbs and use that to build yourself up and make yourself proud and feel like you are, you know, you're the cock of the walk and you are the, you know, you're the one that um, that exudes all of these uh, godlike qualities based on Proverbs. Humility comes before honor. Uh, the people that are more humble, the people that are more sympathetic, the people that are more loving are not the ones that want to honor themselves. They want to honor others. They want to make others happy. I think that's a pretty strong verse, that one. <laughs> the, uh, the one I wanted to dial back to was uh, verse 8, just because the image of it was so funny to me. Uh, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the innermost or the inmost parts. Uh, I think everybody that I know is guilty of like um, chattering behind people's backs, right? It's, it's easy to get involved in, in, um, in talking, not even necessarily in a bad way, but about spreading gossip and, oh, I heard this about this person and, oh, I heard this about this person. Isn't that juicy? Um, and, and that the Bible is... Even in a social media dominated world where um, social uh, power, uh, social um, hierarchy is social hierarchy is uh, is paramount 
it's like the most important thing. The gossip is is rampant. And even <laughs> even in Proverbs, we see people war- being warned against uh, uh, operating that way um, and rather saying that if you hear a, a bit of gossip about somebody or you spread that bit of gossip about other people, that's actually going to go all the way inside of you and it may take a really long time to come out. That's a, that's kind of a weirdly vivid image there. I didn't mean to be so I, disgusting. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I was like, what do you think they mean? Like, does that choice morsel? So I'm thinking like, what's a choice morsel? You know, like, I don't know. The, um, whatever, like a, a filet mignon, what the ribeye or something. And then like, so is it making me fat and it takes a while to lose that weight? Or is it like, um. But, uh, yeah, to absorb that into your, into your core, I mean, I feel like it's so, I feel like, uh, as far as a life practice, um, uh, it's something that I, that I work on. I, so I live in LA nowadays and, um, sometimes driving around in crazy traffic, you can find yourself very susceptible to complaining <laughs> you know just a version of complaining and it could be it's like oh of course this like i didn't make it through this life naturally and, and it's like oh well it's why why shouldn't we have crazy traffic it is eight o'clock p.m i mean how long is rush hour like seven hours long you know like or whatever and you find yourself kind of like finding little ways and it's like look at all these selfish people they're so self-absorbed you know like as long as they get what they need and long as they get where they're and i think it's such a trap and and i know that gossip and this are 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 different but in some ways they're the same like you're using this judgment to somehow you think you're like by you recognizing it somehow makes you better and somebody else worse that that in given the same situation you wouldn't be guilty of the same transaction or transgression is the implication um both with gossip and with like you know whatever the complaints of of a day and i think it's such a subtle and dangerous way to program yourself for disappointment, Mm. depression, and just a general like uh, feeling of unfairness. You know, (laughs) you're just not getting a fair shake. And it's so easy to kind of get with that program. It was a few years ago, but I was just like, I have to stop complaining. I mean, when I'm driving, I mean, I'm walking. Oh, geez, it's hot today. It's like, there I go again. Okay. <laughs> oh, there's only half a bowl of cereal. There I go again. It's like, I'm thirsty. There I go again. I can just get water. You know, like, why does everything have to be coupled with a complaint? I, you know, like, I'm sick of myself. I can't, there's another one, you know, like you can't, how do you, you know, even, even listing these issues is uh, Here we're complaining about a complaint, you know, and, and I, so it's so dangerous and it's so like, I think, um, I think it's bad for you. I think it's bad for me. 
whatever. I don't need to say what's bad for everybody else, but. No, but I mean, uh, verse 20 and 21, we see how what comes out of our, and actually this is something that Jesus talks about in the New Testament as well, uh, that what comes out of your mouth is actually more poisonous than 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 what you put into your mouth. It says the, the fruit of their mouth is a person's stomach, uh, a fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled with the harvest of their lips. They are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, you can poison yourself by talking which is a scary prospect because I, I can think of a lot of times where I I uh, have a conversation with somebody and I say something that's, I don't know, probably ill-advised. Uh, and I go, at the end of that conversation, I go, oh, that was stupid. I shouldn't have said that. And you, you carry that with you for the rest of the day. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, we get so comfortable with judging and judgment and it seems so... Um, obvious that that's what we're supposed to be doing you know when people are deciding good and bad and what to be afraid of and what not to be afraid of and opinions that they all have on uh every everything that comes up we're very we're programmed to do this and not necessarily by our religions per se but although that happens too but by our culture and uh, so these are things that we take a lifetime to unlearn. And hopefully um, by the end of it, our touch can be uh, lighter and, and lovelier than it began. Maybe that's the, the major um, way that we grow up, right? Maybe that's maturing. Maybe that is becoming fulfilled in this life is to uh, understand how not to participate in these kind of um, toxic practices. I hate using the word toxic because it's been so bandied about and, and it's so misused now. But um, but I certainly catch your meaning and I think that it is it is appropriate, even if uh, some other people have, have ruined the word for us. Now, <laughs> now we get no joy out of pointing out toxicity. <laughs> <laughs> It gives me, believe me, it gives me no joy to point out your toxic attributes. So. <laughs> the, um, the, the verse right after what we just referred to is so funny. There's so many different like weird passages about finding a wife in Proverbs. Did, did, did that strike you as odd at all when you, when you read that? Like it's, it's completely out of the blue. They're talking about how your words affect other people and how your words affect yourself. And then at verse 22, it just says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Like what the hell does that have to do with anything we were talking about here? Well, I could see how, you know, that might like, you'd read that and just be like, uh, okay, well, this one needs to lead it or something, you know, <laughs> but I, I, I guess, you know, obviously that's written for, that's written for a, a very specific, uh, <laughs> demographic, but I read it like I would substitute dog for wife. Um, because <laughs> in my life, well, in my case, I would substitute dog um, because my dog, Dragon, has kind of been my conduit to understand um, unconditional love, you know, and um, 
has been my mentor over these last 13 years and continues to be. He's very gentle, gentle with all creatures of all kinds. He does his own thing too. You may want to pet him, but he may not <laughs> feel like being pet now. And that's okay. These are all things that you learn to accept. I don't own this animal. I mean, yes, I paid money for him. Best money I ever spent to be able to buy a friend from the pound. I mean, best <laughs> money ever spent. You know, like I know it sounds a little like not, not this day and age. You don't talk about buying friends, but I got to say, um, he has been indispensable for who I am now. And I guess we'll continue to become and, and uh, all the things I despise about myself. He does not care at all about that. He just thinks I'm cool and I enjoy, you know, uh, loving him. And because of that, you know, it's like I had a bunch of different kind of relationships um, up until when I got him. None of them particularly successful. You know, I experienced uh, flashes of love and and kind of understood what that was to some degree, but then would get distracted by the doings and goings on of life. And and anyway, so uh, having him in my life and having him kind of like. You know, I had anger problems. I'm yelling at he's maybe he's peeing on something. Maybe he's chewing up my musical gear or something, you know, which did happen. And I would, you know, scream at him, kick him out of the house. And, um, really, like it would be an embarrassing film if I had to watch the way that I treated him when he was young, as I was trying to come to terms with, you know, that he wasn't going to do exactly what I said and programmed to like, we don't even speak the same, like we're not even the same species. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> what do I expect? And do I, um, cross apply that same expectation to everybody that I run into? And the answer is yes, we do. I, I think that if we frame like the, first of all, that's beautiful. I'm an animal lover myself. We talked a little bit about this on the, on the phone last weekend. Um, and the, the joy that animal companions like bring into our lives is, uh, it's sort of like unspeakably amazing because it is this love that had, that transcends a species and a love that transcends like language. And, um, like they, while they would, you know, <laughs> dogs piss on the carpet or, um, or, uh, or chew things up, uh, the effect, you know, we, we care for them and then they, they in turn care for us. Um, so like, that's beautiful. And, and I think bringing that to this, like use of he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. I don't know that I necessarily understand exactly what's getting, uh, what, what Solomon's getting at here, but I do know that, um, to me, it reads in the way that I interpret it, like, if you find someone or something in your life that provides for you the kind of unconditional um, giving love, uh, the kind of love that makes you better uh, and and makes you more caring and more loving, and it multiplies the love in your life, 
that's a great thing. And that is a blessing from God or a blessing from whatever deity it is that you, that you see fit. Uh, it's, it's an incredible thing to love and to be loved. I mean, and the, to, to, to feel that uh, like connection in that way. Couldn't agree more. <sighs> wow. Well, uh, I think this is an all right time to, to wrap up. I, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on in, in, um, in, the, in the chapter? Oh, um, let me just give it a quick scan here. One sec. And, uh, that last verse is very funny to me too. I shouldn't be laughing at the Bible, but one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. And there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Yeah. The the friend that sticks closer to a brother's God, right? (laughs) I don't know. That's how, uh, they often in Sufism, that's how they often describe God. You know, I'm so glad that you brought up Hafiz because I, I read a poem at the end of every episode and I picked one of his poems for the end of this episode. Oh, so it's wow. like so perfect that, that you brought that up earlier. I thought that um, like this is because I remember you mentioning that uh, hearing you mention the, the gift, right, is the name of the book. Yeah, uh, an all time favorite of mine. And um uh, before I get into that poem, uh, do you have anything you want to plug or social media pages or uh, projects or anything like that? Um, nothing in particular, not, uh, particularly nothing that benefits me, but um, there is an idea that I've been trying to, it's not really necessarily, a, it is an idea. It's um I went out on tour some years ago and it was like the beginning of our, um, our last president's, you know, first term and, um, and everybody was kind of scared and feeling pretty apprehensive about what may come down, uh, in the next few years. And anyway, so I printed up some t-shirts and they all, they said team human on them (laughs) and team human I thought really served a lot of, it really served, it checked a lot of boxes for me. It's something that you can glance at. It was, it was on a t-shirt. And so you could see it from across the street or in a photograph or on the internet or um, whatever. If you ever saw it and if you ever read it, it would, it would tell you definitively that this person is on your team. And that this person is your friend, brother, sister, you know, like um, liaison. Um, And so I love how simple that is. Mm -hmm. And I love how non-exclusive it is and how it kind of like you open your heart to all, all, all people. And so it's something I, we made t-shirts. I have a few of those, but, um, I'm not really selling them anymore. I have a handful in the trunk of my car, but, but anyway, just the idea of team human. And, um, so I guess if I was going to plug anything, I would plug that, um, because it kind of does remove the barriers between your socioeconomic, your, um, religion, your neighborhood, your education, your uh, color of your skin, 
you know, all, all these different things. It just, it removes all of these barriers and boundaries between one another that we constantly are perceiving and making up. We're, we're making up more every year. Um, there are millions of ways that we are not one another, that we are less, less and less like one another. Yeah. And um, I believe in the exact opposite. Um, and team human is uh, my attempt at an expression of that. And so that's all I would leave you with, you know, is, um, and, and, and your listeners, I just want to share that if they, or you ever run into me, <laughs> you have found one of your friends. That's so beautiful. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining me. Uh, this I think has been a really great conversation about all kinds of things. I think we hit, we hit on a lot of topics and, um, I'm just really, really happy I had the chance to to speak with you and and uh, and while you you don't want to particularly plug anything, I would say anyone that is curious, go Google Jake Bellows and listen to his music and any project that he's been in. He's just an incredibly talented uh, songwriter and, and singer, and um, I just yeah can't gush enough about it. So um, anyway, uh, let's read our poem here for the end of the episode. It is by Hafiz. From the book, The Gift, the poem is called Practice This New Bird Call. The way we live opens windows and calls in a secret voice to anything still missing. There's nothing in your mind you have not invited in. There's no event in your life you in some way did not drive a hard bargain for. We were all once like moons, often full and bright. The heart in its wisdom ceaselessly shops for him. The wise in any foreign country seek a true guide. The guide says, just practice this new bird call. It will attract to you something even greater than love. Thanks, everybody. 